And what I told Jim, I was like, hey man, you've got all this leftover like stuff that you're not selling that you could sell on the internet. And he's like, what's the internet? Like, it was that kind of conversation. And I'm like, well, we can put it on eBay, auction it off. And he's like, whatever, Mike, if you can do that, if you can sell this stuff, I'll pay you a commission. I was like, all right, you know, challenge accepted. And so start posting a lot of this stuff. And it was just random things from like strange, obscure hard drives, uh, different sorts of um, motherboards, different SCSI controllers, like random computer stuff, selling it. But there was a lot of it. So I was like, how do I do this more efficiently? I was like, all right, let me write some software to help automate a lot of what I'm doing. And so I ended up writing an e-commerce site for them. And time out. Yeah. Let's educate the people. How do you write a software? So what Mike is saying essentially is that he created Shopify before Shopify Before knew Shopify it was the thing. Like existed. this stuff didn't exist. It was like 1999. So like, you, you wrote a software. Like I think a lot of us hear yeah. software. Yeah. We're like, we think of like a program like Microsoft or yeah. explain that a little bit more. So what we were actually writing were web applications, websites. But they're not just websites that you can like read content on. That they're like e-commerce sites, like you think of today. You can log in, enter your credit card. There's an inventory and a shopping cart and all that fun stuff. So we were just creating that from scratch, basically. And then we were writing automations to take that stuff and put it on eBay, right? Like, so, so it was being placed on the website, mm -hmm. but the website itself, if it didn't sell at a certain time, it was being put onto eBay through what you told it to do? We could do that, or you could just put stuff into inventory and push a button and say, put on website. Put on everywhere. And then you could push a button that says, post auction. Post an auction. One click. Probably not that hard to do. If you know how to write code. Dude, we all have the best time ever to start a small business. If I'm not gonna be 100% in, I'm not gonna do it. Come on, man, just be yourself. Yeah, and, like, and just show up as yourself. If you don't realize what I'm really about, I'm about freedom, family, and my country. Mr. Zossman. What's up, sir? I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for having me, man. Finally. It's been a long time coming, right? Yeah, you're like, you're like a hard guy to pin down. Hard to pin down, you gotta be. You're out in the woods hunting. You don't want to be the hunted. Mm-hmm. But I hunted you down. And now you're here. Yeah. You have an interesting story. You're a, uh, everything that fireside embodies is about people who start something from nothing. They go down a journey of entrepreneurialism or small business. And uh, they're willing to give back and help. Mm -hmm. And you're a guy that wants to help with a big heart. And uh, you also still want to continue to climb the ladder, right? That's entrepreneurialism. Yeah. And your story is something that's unique. And I hope to pull it all out of you tonight. And I really appreciate you coming down. You're about an hour and a half away, parked in the woods. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about you in the woods. You like the woods. Absolutely. And uh, really appreciate you coming here, man. No, th thanks for having me. Um, I don't know. I guess I found you like, I don't know. Podcast, Phil Vitillo's. Well, Paul Perry, free, free Phil Free podcast, like, so I don't know how many, is that two years? It could be yeah, two, probably two, two or more years ago. But yeah, it was through, through the algorithm. I followed Paul and Phil, and then you started showing up. And I was like, oh, who's this, who's this guy in the Jersey Shore talking about business coaching and business development? And I was like... What did you first think, honestly? I was like, that's cool that somebody from Jersey is doing this. Mm -hmm. 
because um, it doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't exist. But I mean, we'd been growing our company and working with business coaches and like for whatever reason, we had a, a run through of uh, Canadian business coaches and these guys out in the Midwest. And I just thought it was really cool. Wow, this guy's in Point Beach. Like, hmm. How are the Canadian business coaches? Say again? The Canadian guys, how were they? Were really girls? nice, so nice. Yeah. Nicest people, yeah. What was their advantage that they helped you with? Uh, I mean, there were, there were two of them specifically. One of them was like just a hardcore like business therapist. Like I had two partners. Kind of like Wendy from Billions. Dude, I don't watch TV. <laughs> Wendy from Billions is amazing. Okay. What does she do? Tell me about her. If you can't perform in the bed, Wendy helps you. Okay. If you can't perform at the desk, stock trading, Wendy helps you. Yeah. Gary- she's, a, she's a business therapist. Yeah, Gary is kind of like that. Minus the I bed stuff. I guarantee Wendy's hotter than Gary. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, but no, what was Gary good at? Um, you know, I had two business partners. I mean, I still have two business partners. I have more business partners, but, uh, we were always friends first. We were business partners, but like any close relationship, there's always a little bit of dysfunction, right? And he was good at rooting it out, helping us identify it and like moving, moving past it. He was our first, I would say real, um, stint at coaching that like really propelled our business. Our second coach, Colin, who's a great friend, runs his own coaching business. We, we were his first client. Put him on blast a little bit, but Colin, Colin's just awesome. Uh, he had a ton of- He needs to get to the pit. Hmm? He needs to get here. He's in Canada, maybe, maybe he will. Fly in, All I had right. people from Canada at All the right. event. Colin, you heard the man, You're coming to Jersey. But um, Colin was really good at, like Gary helped us implement a whole new structure to not just how we ran the company, but sort of our relationship and our, our roles in the organization. Um, and then Colin really helped us execute against a strategy and grow. That's kind of how I would frame the two. So I'm going to go back to the last yeah. guy who who helped unbundle mm-hmm. emotions, egos, mm-hmm. and business partnerships. Oh, yeah. Because they're tough. I had a business partner yeah. for many years, and I love him to death still to this day. And I think he probably still loves me, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, but they're hard, man. You have different things going on in your personal lives. You have business going on. And a lot of times business partnerships come together in the beginning because you have different skill sets and personalities, right? Mm-hmm. So I want you to just quickly break down, and I'm going to come back to your childhood, and we'll, we'll chronologically walk through your life. But since we're on this topic, talk about what he really did to really – mediate the three of you to mediate the three of us i think it was just about really getting us to open up to one another about and and communicate more effectively about what we expected of each other and just really simply put like defining each other's roles like you're going to do this you're going to do sales you're going to do operations and opening up the communication but not just opening it up and like kind of airing out all the dirty laundry, like all the shit like, oh, well, you know, for the last year and a half, this guy wasn't doing X, Y, and Z, right? Get that all out in the open, get rid of it, but then put in a new structure to 
really make sure that we were communicating effectively every day. What did he do? How did he do that? I, I mean, you know, in practice, it's really simple, right? Like one of the things we implemented was just a daily stand up. Like every day, Monday to Friday, our phone, all three of our phones would ring at 10 a.m. through um, a, a conferencing system called Uber Conference. It would call us all three at the same time. Automated. And, and we automatically, it wasn't like you had to dial in. Mm -hmm. You'd be doing whatever, you know, dealing with a kid, dealing with a dog, whatever. Your phone would ring, you pick up, and you get on and you say, hey, here's what I'm working on today. Here's what I accomplished yesterday. Here's what I'm stuck on and need help with, right? And it was just making sure that that communication happened consistently every day. And I mean, just, just that simple thing was a game changer for us. So I mean, no yeah. offense to your business partners, but I say what I want. So you had three quants who were smart in their own heads, in their own corners. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times you guys are working on problems. You're problem solvers, mm -hmm. you're big thinkers, you're coming up with a new solution, new code, um, hacking. We'll get into what you guys yeah. exactly did in a little bit. Uh, that's a great tool. Someone just came in and said simply, hey guys, yeah. you're gonna get on the phone at 10 o'clock. So for a little nugget of, of new business owners or small business owners, bring your team together and just communicate oh, once yeah. a day. If it's for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it may be, whatever time you have allotted to yeah. do so, just bring everybody together and get on the same page. Yeah, every day. And hey, you know, you have a doctor's appointment, you have something fine, you, you miss it or you move it an hour later, but communicate every day. So I'm gonna go back to your childhood, grew up in Hackensack. No. Born in Hackensack. Born in Hackensack. Grew up in Teaneck. Grew up in Teaneck. Bergen County, Jersey, yeah. All right. How was your childhood? Did you enjoy it? What, oh, what did I enjoy on? it? Um, <laughs> for me growing up, I wouldn't say it was easy, but it wasn't super hard either. It wasn't horrible. I had everything I needed, but my situation at home was that my dad went to work every night, and my mom drank a lot. And so what this meant for me, like, hey, I had a roof over my head, I had food, I had a lot of things going for me, but I was pretty much left to my own devices. I figured out, had to figure things out on my own a lot of the time. Which is um, a power. Hmm? It is a you power. You turn it into a power later. It is a power. Turn it into a power later. I mean, what it, what, how did it go down in practice in school? Fair amount of like bullying, being picked on, um, which looking back, I can see how it held me back. Uh, you process that stuff when you're older. Um, I wonder if your bullies understand how precise you are in the woods with weapons now. The, I don't want them to. <laughs> they don't need to know that. <laughs> it's like this deer is, that's yeah. Johnny. That was Mike. <laughs> he picked on me. So I want, I want to yeah. dig into that a little bit yeah. to, to make you a little bit vulnerable. Um, I was a heavyset kid my whole life, but I also know I mm -hmm. knew I would punch you in the face. Yeah. And other people knew that too. Um, so I wasn't picked on a ton. And the people that did pick on me were my closest friends that I, I picked on them. Mm -hmm. We were all ball busting. Like, what was that like as a young, like, what was going through your mindset as a young kid? You got a mom at home struggling with some alcohol. Yeah. Your dad was trying to pay the bills. Yeah. You know, what was going on in your head in that moment? Like, I'm just on an island by myself. Great question. You know, in the moment, you know, I think you would look at me and you just see this. I see that still. Fucking deadpan. Like, I'm just fucking taking it all in, right? Um, what was I actually thinking about? Like, wow, how do I, what do I do about this? How do I, how do I get through this? Can I make this better? Like, you know, as a kid, like. Can you make what better, like, the bullying or the home? 
I was focused on the bullying. Honestly, home was just home, right? Yeah. That, that's, that was your norm. That was your norm. Like, um, you don't really think about that until later. Um, <laughs> later on in high school, I think somebody keyed in on my mom's drinking and, I don't know, reported it to the school or something. And I was pulled down to the uh, drug and, like, alcohol counselor's office or whatever. I was a good kid. Like, I wasn't getting in trouble. I was like, what? Why, why are they bringing me down here? And I remember going into this guy's office kind of pissed off. Like, hey. You can add wood to the fire whenever you want to. Oh, right thank now. you. What am I here for? Um, and they're like, oh, you know, we're just, we're just checking in, you know. How are things at home? Like, things are fine. Like, you know, uh, your mom, you know, she drink a lot? I'm like, no, not a lot. And he's like, well, how much does she drink? I'm like, I don't know, five, six beers a night. <laughs> Just like, you know, now I'm older, right? You think about it. You think about it. And you're what like, would right, five let's... or six beers do to me tonight? I'd be a wreck tomorrow, right? You got a lot of and, work to do, kids yeah, to take care of. Yeah, and so that's what I was dealing with there. Um, but at the same time, like, it was just home. You're just kind of getting through it. Was your mom having more than five to six? Because I can easily have five to oh, six to that. I mean, that's just what I kind of observed and kind of passively yeah. knew as a kid, right? You know. So what happened at the time? Um, you know, just kind of chaotic upbringing at home, right? That's what it was. But you get through it and you go to school. And so then, you know, at school... Like one of the one of the things I think about almost every day. Um, you, know, you talk about bullying. There was a period in time where I was like, "Oh man, I was bullied so much." I remember I, I was faking sick to get out of school. Um, That's so sad. Yeah, but I missed so much school in the sixth grade that you know they sent a letter home like, eh, you know, Mike's missing a lot of school, might not be able to move on to the seventh grade like what's going on and I wasn't telling anybody about it but um just the, these couple of kids were bullying me every day and I remember I I talked to my buddy in one of my classes Joel and I was like yeah man these guys are bullying me like it sucks um, what do I do and I remember he was like well Joel was like a really cool kid never told him this story I should probably reconnect with him but he was like he may see this he might I'll send it to him but he was like Mike like, what's your problem you, you just have to fight him I like this guy And I was like, fight him. He's like, yeah, just just fight him. Like, what's your problem? Joel is like, he's a cool kid, really nice guy. He told me that. I'm like, all right. So I remember we were switching classes for like math or Spanish or whatever. So I switched classes into the class where the kid was bullying me. And um, it wasn't just him. He turned one of my friends against me. It was really, it was shitty. Um... But I remember he started in on me. And I remember saying to him, like, no, this ends today. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, like, you, you cut it out or we can go fight after school today, which is totally not me. Yeah. But Joel kind of, he, like, put it in me. And I did it. I remember the kid, I remember him being, like, taken aback. Like, everyone yeah, was kind of, like, He was silent. nervous. Like, people were like, what? What's going on? And I remember I was, like, I was, I was scared. I was like, I wasn't a fighter. I didn't fight kids. So that happened. I remember, I remember telling him, like, yeah, we'll meet at the bridge, blah, blah, blah. And after school, I go to the bridge. And my dad always picked me up, like, somewhere around there. 
I'm looking around like, wow, there's no kids here. That dude's not here. The other guy isn't here. No one's here. There's my dad. I'll just get in the car. Fucking never got bullied again from that kid. So. Yeah, just punk them out. You know, you punk them out. You stand up for yourself. Stand up for what you believe. And, you know, thank you, Joel. Wish I had done that months earlier, right? Yeah. Bullying's a tough thing. Yeah. I feel like I'm a bully to the bullies. Oh, yeah? Yeah. There's a lot of people out there in business and life that bully people Mm -hmm. still as adults. And uh, I'm coming for them. And uh, they're all on blast. Good for you, man. I'm coming for them. So get through high school. Yeah. You, you, you were excelling at, you know, doing well in school? Were you on a roll? Uh, I was always like... Middle of the road? Solid, middle road, like never really tried hard. I remember going to freshman year of high school, signed up for an honors biology class. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work really hard at this class. Worked hard, got an A. And I remember thinking to myself like, wow, I worked really hard for that A and that was not worth it. I'm not gonna work that hard anymore. <laughs> totally and, not worth uh, it. Kind of settled into an ABC rhythm. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a joke to you. It's like whatever. Yeah, just wasn't wasn't interested, wasn't passionate about anything I was getting in school. What were you doing at work? Oh, uh, at work in high school, I was big into. Throughout all this, I, I found uh, cycling and bike racing, and specifically mountain biking. Again, you know, thanks to my parents for getting me a mountain bike, and my dad getting me to the woods to go mountain biking. And this kind of cemented kind of my, my solo artist approach, like mountain biking, it's a solo endeavor. Like you go out, even if you're racing, you're not racing as a team. You're, you're just getting out in the woods and um, being alone, being alone and going hard. So I learned how to do that. And through this passion I was cultivating for bike racing at the time, ended up going to the local bike shop, ended up getting a job at the bike shop. And so that, that was my thing. I was in school, you know, getting through school. My vision was I was gonna be a pro mountain biker, working at the bike shop, riding every chance I get, got, and uh, racing on the weekends. So from that point on, when did you start thinking about college? Oh, man. College, uh, college was the thing you're supposed to do, right? Like everyone goes to college. I wasn't super motivated to go to college, but I thought, well, that's if what I, I'm supposed to do. Yeah, if that's what you're supposed to do. And you know what? If I have to go to college, I'll try and go to college in Vermont. Great mountain biking. That, that works for me. And um, going through the college application process, I actually remember meeting with my high school guidance counselor. And he was kind of like the typical, stereotypical guidance counselor, like toupee, thick glasses, kind of a jerk. And he was like, Mike, you know what? One of the schools I was looking at was Rutgers. He was like, you're borderline Rutgers College. I don't think you can really get in there. Time out. So the yeah. guy who's making about $38,000 oh, yeah. a year was telling you what you are and what oh, you are. Oh, yeah, yeah. The dog's like, barking, Kel. And, and so, yeah. I just remember thinking like, wow, you're kind of a dick. In the midst of all this, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to go to University of Vermont get to Vermont, snowboard in the winter, mountain bike the rest of the year. It's going to be awesome. And then that University of Vermont application was like, I don't know, 60 pages long or whatever it was. The Rutgers application was like three pages. I filled out that Rutgers app, got it in, got accepted to Rutgers College. 
before I even finished that UVM application, before I finished any other college application. So once I got into Rutgers College, I was like, oh, good. Yeah, that's good. where I'm going. They got mount, the, mountain biking's a club sport there. I'll be fine. That, that's what my priority was. Did you do was. that in college? A little bit, yeah. So you get into Rutgers. What, yeah. was your, what was your objective there in a sense of like, what do you want? Was it computer science? Yeah. Was it business? It was computer science. So we glossed over like, all of the computer stuff I was doing in high school. Yeah, so time out. So your dad yeah. threw you computer parts yeah. back in the day and said, you want yeah. a game, kid. You're going to learn to put this computer yeah. together yourself. So my dad, he is a like, he's a tinkerer. He loves like ham radios and gadgets and all this stuff. Oh, he's into hams? Oh, yeah. He can help me with my ham radio? Because I'm so fucking confused. Chris Hager actually bought it for me. I'm lost. You literally, you, you have a ham radio? I have a ham radio. Do you have a dude. license? No, but they told me I need to start with that. Yeah, you need... It's very Are complex. you kidding? No, I'm dead joke? serious. Chris, are we kidding? We're Chris, kidding. what's your call sign? He doesn't know. You so, know ham radios? Yeah, man. Oh, dude. Dude, I got my license when I was 10. Dude, we need You were still learning to count back so when then. when World War III breaks out, oh, let's go. we need the ham. We're going to be eating deer meat and talking on the radio. We're going to be hacking people over the radio, dude. I want to hack people over the radio. I know. We'll, we'll get to hacking in a minute. So my dad, it wasn't like, oh, you got to do this. He was like, hey, here you go. Here are some computer parts. And I just kind of took to it. And so back then, this is like the mid-90s, mid right? Like you would get a motherboard, you get some RAM, you get a case. Like you build your own computer. You I remember. That. We did yeah. that in high school. Yeah. So I was doing that, but I was getting all like hand-me-down parts from his buddies and they didn't always work and you had to troubleshoot it. And so like for me to get a working computer that I could play video games on and just play around with, it took a lot of effort, right? But in doing that, well, I, I shit just- was super expensive back then. The, yeah, I mean, that was the thing. Like I remember- um, What did your dad do for a living? He's, he, wa he was a newspaper editor for the Star-Ledger. So that's where you get your writing skills. Yeah. There's a whole, like, writing lineage in my family, too. I mean... We'll get into that. How that stuff, like, follows bloodlines, I don't know, but... Does. Well, you're a great writer, so... Thank you. We'll get into that. Yeah. So, point being, he's like, hey, computer parts, have at it, building computers. And then you're right, it was expensive. Like, back then, I remember, like, one meg of RAM was, like, $100. And you needed, I think, two or... I think you needed four megs of RAM to run Windows. You needed $400 worth of memory. Did you have a clear tower case? No. That, white? That, off white? This is all like pale. Yeah, yeah pale. Off white. Right. Was it tall? It, stuff wasn't cool stack. back then. This was very nascent. It was like prehistoric days of personal computing, man. But back then, if you throw that to your kid and you're like, hey, you want to do some gaming, yeah. your dad was super smart to make you yeah. start oh, 100%. critically thinking about this stuff. So, mm -hmm. And were you into it? Did you enjoy it? Oh, yeah. I just loved making it work. Yeah. Like, I just didn't problem care. Problem solving. Like, you go into, like, time stand still. You're, like, problem solving, tinkering, figuring out how to make it work. And then it works. And you get that, like, ah, rush. Yeah. Like, I did, you know, I did that. So you've been you were playing with computer parts and, yeah. and building towers and gaming systems. You weren't coding at the time, were you? A little bit, yeah. So talk about coding a little bit, because coding for most people, like like me, like I'm obviously I'm friends with you now for yeah. a couple of years, so I've learned a lot more. But 
coding? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, so I mean, this is like the mid '90s, early '90s. I think it was, uh, you know, credit to my dad. Like, hey, Mikey, here's a book on C plus plus or basic programming or whatever it was. Read the book and do this stuff on your computer. Like, this is like pre-internet, right? So, what the hell is C plus plus? Programming language. Yeah. But that—that's like a, a high-level programming language that you know software companies are using i'm just like a nine ten year old kid like screwing around with it in my bedroom like i remember so he was working but at the maybe newspaper your dad, maybe your dad realized your 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 intelligence back then maybe he did oh, I, I, no nine year old i don't know what to do with this kid books. give him a computer it fucking has that'll drugs. keep him busy yeah yeah but your kids are, your kids aren't 10 I'm just saying, dude, most nine-year-olds, I remember that. Like, I was, I remember nine. I remember my friends. I remember what we were doing. We were yeah. playing sports, riding bikes, yeah. trying to ride dirt bikes. We were not playing with C++. Yeah. So anyway, you, you started to play with the coding and, and play with the computer parts, and you built up a, a base knowledge of that world. You fall into the biking. You go to college. Were you doing computer science? Were you walking down that road? I was walking down that road, but you know what I hated? College. Counting is 10. Hated math. Just, yeah. I mean, math was my academic downfall because a lot of the computer science courses were all predicated on math. You had to have these math prerequisites. Which like, is false. Yeah, and I was just like, nah. Like, maybe now, if I went back. You know Kelly's really a wanted, master's in math? Okay. No, I didn't know that. Kelly, you're a master's in math then? or what? I just was telling him I took a class on C++. Yeah, we can hear you. We can hear you telling him. You're very loud over there. <laughs> so, where were we? Uh, yeah, I took you off. So you're down the road yeah. of, of college. Of You're going down the computer route, but you didn't love math. Yeah, I hated math. Like, I, it just didn't, it didn't serve me any purpose. Still doesn't. Still, well, I can see the value of it now, right? Um, if I wanted to go to school and get a computer engineering degree, math is important. If I want to, you know, write uh, high-level business applications that automate and streamline key business processes, I know enough math to get that done, right? Um, but yeah, it just wasn't important to me at the time. So, so how long were you in college? Uh, two and a half years. I was at Rutgers. And then you said fun Yeah, I was done with that. But all because I was working at the bike shop, working with this dude, Pete. I don't know. I find it really interesting. I can, I can trace all my success today back to working in that bike shop, right? And it was because Pete, the guy I worked with, wrenching bikes, had a computer business on the side. And when I went to Rutgers, he worked with a, a computer wholesaler in the Rutgers area in New Brunswick. He was like, hey, Mike, why don't you come and, you know, do some work for Jim? Jim needs some help testing RAM, doing random stuff. And just getting... And you're like, testing RAM, I did that forever at yeah, 9. Yeah, I'm like, fine, I'll do that for 20 bucks an hour, yeah, or whatever easy. it was. Um, but when I got there, I was like, oh, man, hey, Jim, all this... He just had computer parts everywhere. And I'm like, hey, man, you can sell this stuff on the Internet. Your Surfside's down. I know. Below your arm. Shout out to Surfside. These are delicious. If you want to sponsor the podcast, we'll take them. Highline Arena is highlighting Surfside. You should yeah. also hit them up. 
This is a commercial now? Is that how we're doing it? We do whatever we want, Mike. All right. So, you're testing so, RAM for John. Testing RAM for Jim. Jim, John, same Jim. name. Yeah. I wonder where Jim is. Where is he? I don't know. Is he in the woods? Alive. Is he hunting you? No. He's got to be old now. I got to find him. You should reach out to him. He's in East Brunswick. That's where he was. Hack his kids now. Like, hack his house. Yeah. I'll just send him a letter, bro. Like, why, <laughs> why is it got to be about hacking all the time? <laughs> I just want you to hack things. So, you, so, you get into this business. So, I get into this business. Testing RAM. Yeah. Doing, where was this? What, what were you doing? This East Brunswick. He's like a computer wholesaler. So, this guy is going in. This is the basement. No, no, not, we're not the basement we're yet. Not the, basement yet. Not the yeah. South African yet. Um, Jim is buying off-lease computer equipment. He's tearing it down, refurbing it, parting it out, selling it, and making money. And I'm helping him in that process. But in that process, you just have a lot of leftover computer junk, junk, detritus, whatever. But some of it's actually pretty valuable. And what I told Jim, I was like, hey, man, you've got all this leftover like stuff that you're not selling that you could sell on the internet. And he's like, what's the internet? Like, it was that kind of conversation. And I'm like, well, we can put it on eBay, auction it off. And he's like, whatever, Mike, if you can do that, if you can sell this stuff, I'll pay you a commission. I was like, all right, you know, challenge accepted. And so start posting a lot of this stuff. And it was just random things from like strange, obscure hard drives, uh, different sorts of um, motherboards, different SCSI controllers, like random computer stuff, selling it. But there was a lot of it, so I was like, how do I do this more efficiently? I was like, all right, let me write some software to help automate a lot of what I'm doing. And so I ended up writing an e-commerce site for them, and... Yeah. Time out. Yeah. Let's educate the people. How do you write a software? So what Mike is saying, essentially, is that he created Shopify. Before Shopify, Before Shopify was the thing. Like, existed. this stuff didn't exist. It was like 1999. So you, you wrote a software. Like, I think a lot of us hear yeah. software. Yeah. We're like, we think of like a program like Microsoft or... Yeah. Explain that a little bit more. So what we were actually writing were web applications, websites. But they're not just websites that you can like read content on. That They're like e-commerce sites like you think of today. You can log in, enter your credit card. There's an inventory and a shopping cart and all that fun stuff. So we were just creating that from scratch, basically. And then we were writing automations to take that stuff and put it on eBay, right? Like, so, so it was being placed on the website, mm -hmm. but the website itself, if it didn't sell at a certain time, it was being put onto eBay through what you told it to do? We could do that, or you could just put stuff into inventory and push a button, say, put on website. Put on everywhere. And then you could push a button that says, post auction post an auction. One click. Probably not that hard to do. If you know how to write code. Yeah. And at that time, you were that confident in writing code. Oh, yeah. We're going to get back to this. We're going to take a quick break. I want to talk more about code and the rest of your story. Taking a quick break in the podcast, I want to talk about the Pit 2.0. What is the Pit 2.0? It's made up of a huge network of people across all different industries that are solving problems, creating solutions, and also bringing together a lot of marketing and sales idea. If you want to get into a Pit group like this, it's very inexpensive, $147 a month. If you want to learn more about it, check out the links and the information below. Jump back in. Yeah. Took a quick break. Do you know what we were talking about? 
You're the host. I'm not the host. So we were talking about you heading down this road of gym, computer parts, yeah. testing RAM, yeah. creating websites, then creating the, the Shopify before it was Shopify. Mm -hmm. What did you learn in all that? At the time, you were really just still selling secondary Yeah, we're just parts. selling stuff. What I was learning was how to automate business processes with software, with code, right? With computers, right? It was just, it was just new. Like I, I, Jim never saw this coming, right? And so that was just my first foray into... Just like you never saw content. Yeah, I never saw content coming, man. Writing software to truly empower a business, right? And transform a business. So... And then... From that point on, you, you found this dude in the basement. Yeah, met the dude in the basement. What's that guy's South name? South African guy. We'll just call him South African guy, right? So Jim was selling all sorts of computer equipment. Sounds shady. It, it was shady. And uh, he had these giant servers that he pulled out of some data center and he was trying to sell them. And one day he comes to me, he's like, Mike, I sold those AST Manhattan Pro servers. I'm like, all right. These things were like four feet tall, like this wide, these giant servers. He's like, Mike, I sold them to this guy in North Brunswick, but you need to go help him get them up and running. And I was like, all right. He's like, hey, you got to go to this guy's house. And don't worry, I'll pay you. I'll pay you a time and a half, whatever it was. I'm like, all right, all right. So I go to this guy's house, and this tall, lanky guy answers the door. We introduce ourselves. Nice enough guy, nerdy guy, whatever. And he's like, yeah, come on in. I'll show you what I got going on. And we go into this empty spare bedroom in this, like, nondescript house in New Jersey. And it sounds like CIA oh, or Mossad. Yeah. And we go into this room. And I see the servers on the wall and box, a lot of Cat5 cable everywhere. And he's like, you see that thing? You know what that is? I'm like, no. He's like, well, that's a, that's a Cisco router. I have a T1 coming into my house here, and I'm building a web hosting company. And I need you to help me get all these servers up and running so we can actually build this company. And I was like, okay. I'm intrigued. Tell me more. And, you know, fast forward a couple years. We're running this web hosting company in this guy's basement, literally in the basement. We're hosting thousands of websites. We've got web servers, database servers, email servers, DNS servers, all sorts of networking equipment running in the guy's basement. And we're a bunch of like, you know, 20 somethings, 20 something college dropouts. And uh, one of my fondest memories of that whole experience was one day the guy who was running it, it was his company. He brought a couple of us together. My, my college roommate, my freshman roommate was working for the company at the time too. He's like, hey, we're gonna go buy a Mercedes today. Got this backpack, we gotta go to the bank. We're gonna get a bunch of cash and go buy this Mercedes. And I remember we went to the bank with this, with this empty duffel bag or whatever it was, and then tried to take out 60 grand in cash. And he had it. And they're like, well, we, we can't just, we don't, we don't just have 60 grand to give you today. Like, we can't yeah. just do that. So we have to give you a cashier's check. So we got the cashier's check and went and bought the, bought the car, but we were disappointed we didn't get all the cash. They, that, will, they will barely give you five grand nowadays. But we didn't know. But that's what we were doing. We are just running these computers, signing people up for web hosting. What, what like were you learning money. there? Hmm? What did you learn in the basement? There learned all about internet infrastructure and a little tiny bit about security. But at, at, so was yeah. it there that the birth of security and what you understood or the lack thereof security 
started there? It or, was starting or fast there. Forward? It was starting there, but I, I wasn't like into it. I didn't think it was cool. I didn't have any passion for it. It was barely on my radar. So what happened with that job? We then moved on. Yeah, and, ha- and how old are you at that time? Um, probably like 20, 21. So twenty one years old. Yeah. You're you're running a web hosting. Watch that beetle. Web hosting out of this South yeah. African guy's basement. Yeah. Totally sounds like the CIA. Totally legit. <laughs> Paid taxes and everything. So, at what point did you say I want to make a change? Um. Switch jobs. My my uh, roommate, good buddy at the time, was like, "Hey, I'm leaving my job to go get this other job." Um, that's such, and he knows why I'm laughing about that job. But um, I took his old job as a webmaster running an e-commerce site for a cell phone company. Yeah. So again, this is like They're early in the Menlo 2000s. Park Mall. Menlo Mall. Menlo Park Mall, all over. They yeah. had singular branded retail locations, kiosks in the mall. Secondhand cell phones. No, firsthand. Just this is like the the early days of like mass cell phone adoption mm-hmm. where everybody was getting their first cell I remember phone. those kiosks. The, the Nokia, yeah. Yeah. whatever. Uh, and then a couple years later, the StarTax came out. So mm-hmm. like, this was like the, the, the heyday, the boom days of cell phones, right? Um, but this company, they had a e-commerce website and I took the job to help them maintain that website. But they also had a call center where they were telemarketing and signing people up for their first cell phone, you know, over the phone. Literally and, like, and service? And service, What yeah. was the service at the time? Singular. T-Mobile? Singular. It's all singular. Yeah. That's all I remember. Yeah. Um, but I remember those uh, call center people, they were taking those orders on paper. And then all the papers would, like, go through the office and get to the ladies over here at the credit scoring desk. You're like, this take is the paper And they'd, like you know, transcribe the paper into the credit scoring system. I remember going to my boss. I was like, hey, you know, um, you could automate all of that. Just like I'd automated all this stuff for Jim. And so we ended up writing this whole order processing system for the call center folks to, you know, ultimately it evolved to like a full like end-to-end call center application where they're getting fed numbers to dial through their web browser, they're calling. They're talking to the customer. They're taking the order. They punch it in, credit card information, everything. goes straight through the credit scoring system. And then, you know, uh, an invoice or a bill of lading printed out the other end when they were approved. And the phone shipped and phone activated and shipped. So now we're 22, 23. We're like, How much money do you think you helped those guys make? Realistically. Millions. I mean, yeah. Over time, millions. Yeah. And at the time, you weren't reaping much of the reward. No, I was just, you know. You're having Programmer fun. guy, having wow, fun. Wow, I was able to yeah. actually make this work. Making like, you know, 22, making 60 grand a year or whatever. There was nothing in you at that time that said like, I should start my own cell phone company and do this for myself. Or my own software company? No. Uh, maybe a little bit. Actually, you just reminded me, we started our own web hosting company. I forgot about that. In that time. If I was yeah. you with my mindset, I would have been like, fuck these guys, start my own cell phone company. We started our own web hosting company, actually. And what was Because that, that was doing? even easier because you didn't have to do anything because we were reselling web hosting. What's that mean? What does it mean? Um, you run the data center. You run all the equipment, right? You host websites. You're Ryan. You got Ryan's hosting company. I'm Mike. I start Mike's hosting company. And then Evan wants a website. Evan signs up with me. He's like, hey, Mike, I'll, 
you know, I'll sign up, I'll take plan A, I'll pay you 20 bucks a month for my website and email. And I'm like, sweet. I turn around, sign them up with Ryan for 10 bucks a month automatically. It's all automated. And I hit him for 20 and I pay you 10 every month, month after month. How well did that do? I got you. Yeah, got me. Got me good. It's all right. But that, did that do well, that company? Uh, yeah, I mean, we got to where we had hundreds of accounts and we ended up selling it to Ryan. So mm. we wanted out and we we're like, hey, Ryan, buy all of our customers. What was that buyout? I don't remember. Uh, it was a multiple on the, on the revenue for each customer. And you were 24, 22? 25, yeah, somewhere around there. 25, 26. So at that time, you worked for the cell phone guy. Yeah. What then moved you into the next, the next part of your story? Uh, a friend saying, hey, let's go to a, a career fair on a Saturday. It's like, let's go. Ended up being a private career fair, job fair, whatever. Uh, but it was run by a, an Israeli cybersecurity startup. This is in like 03, 04, I think. And uh, go to this career fair with my buddy, end up getting an offer, took a new job. At that point, it was just a new job that paid me more. Mm. And I was, you know, skilled for it. So what were you guys doing at the startup this is like in the early days of web application security like again this is but did you already know this no what i knew at the time i knew how to write web application code i knew how to create dynamic like e-commerce websites and i knew how to operate all the infrastructure that supported them and what this company was doing was actually selling a product that secured all of that. That was their value prop. And they were selling it to Fortune 500 companies and government agencies and companies with a lot of risk and a lot of government money. Government agencies, which ones? Uh, I think I've said too much already. <laughs> but, and this was a yeah. Iranian startup? Yeah, definitely. The Iranians, <laughs> uh, the Panamanians were involved for a bit. Israeli, no. Uh, Israeli startup. I mean, that's... Sounds weird. Israel's churning out a lot of cybersecurity companies. They, For a long they, time. They've got a very security-centric culture. And Sounds like a smart... A lot of smart engineers there. Intelligence. Yeah. So, at that point, what did you learn most? Like, what, what set you up? You learned hacking. I learned, I learned I was really good at hacking when I was there. Thank you. It was like, how long was it going to take for you that's to That's what we were, what are we, like, shit. 57 minutes in? We got God three minutes damn. left to go. We finally got wanna, hacking. Oh, you guys want to talk about hacking? I got to go. <laughs> so, like, like, when was, like, your first hacking scenario? Back in high school, man. Lost over all that. In, that. in that business. In that business. Actually, it was really very benign. Um, we actually had a customer report a security vulnerability in our product. And our product was a firewall. It was like a security appliance. You would pay us a lot of money for our product thinking, oh, this is going to make my company more secure, right? And next thing I know, this client is reporting a vulnerability in our product. And I look into it and I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's really interesting. Like I was intrigued. That like piqued my interest. And at that point, I was like, well, I actually know like 10 other places in the product where that vulnerability exists. And that's when like 
I went down the rabbit hole. And Explain the rabbit hole. The rabbit hole. I was just like, I, it, it had never occurred to me that especially a, like a security product itself could be hacked and w could have its own security vulnerabilities. And I just went deep on it. And I was like, what other ways can this thing be hacked? What are the developers not thinking about when they're creating they're not the hackers code. they're not they're criminals not hackers, no and so yeah. so did you start to show the ceo of the startup like hey i'm going to hack our own system and you're going to pay me more to fix it basically right. it's not quite how it played out so give me a give me a good hacking scenario a, a good hacking scenario of that one um, ways that you could bypass logging in without Providing a username and password. To what? Logging into what? The product, the portal, and all the all the systems and applications. Whose product it. and portal? Yours Ours. Or, the, or the company we're protecting? Ours. And subsequently, everything behind it. Everything? Every company that was using your firewall? Everything behind that firewall, behind each individual firewall. It's, so a, new, it's a nuanced... Just time yeah. out. If I'm able to bypass the firewall... Yeah via the login to your company, does that expose all the other companies behind that firewall? I'm learning here. I'm not leading you. I don't know. Maybe. It depends. Everything depends, right? Back then, what did it do? You know the answer. The short story there is that there were flaws in our product that introduced these weaknesses that made it possible to do things like that. So what did the CEO but, say to you when you showed him that? He was a very quiet guy. I never showed him that. What I would do, I would just find these bugs. Israel. I would just find these bugs and I'd report them through the system. Like, it created a ticket. Like, security vulnerability ticket, right? And then it would go to Israel. Yeah. And all the engineers there would be like, oh. Remember somebody said, Went like, to Israel, what, what server? Hmm? What server? Dude. Dude, the Israelis are fucking smart, man. No, they know how to defend everything. Seriously, they really I, are. I know that. I work work with a lot of them. Really smart people. Really, like we awesome should follow engineers. their lead. Yes. Seriously. Thank you. They're no bullshit. I know. So you you then exposed this. Went to a smart guy in Israel. Went to a certain server. Then what happens? Nothing. You just tell the engineers like, "Hey, man, I found this problem. What mm -hmm. are you going to do about it?" And they're like, how, how is Mike finding all these security vulnerabilities? Why is he hacking the product? And what the why is that their question? I exposed that's, the product. That's how a lot ego. of developers like think. Else. Ego. Yeah. Like, we're smart developers. We're writing this thing. It's a security product. You're obviously not that good. Everybody makes mistakes, man. But that's been the, the journey of the technology industry, like learning that we can't just write random code without thinking about security. Now, the best companies have software engineers who think about cybersecurity. You're getting like ahead. You, well, You're getting yeah, ahead. but it's important, man. So, Israeli company, yeah. you do well four years. Where does that lead you? Four years. Acquired by Microsoft. And then... Bill Gates says... Here's a bunch of money. Money laundering happens. Yeah. Get your vaccine. Here's a bunch of money. Vaccines... Money happens. Yeah. Abiola comes on the scene. Just kidding. You're jumping ahead like seven years, man. So then you go and you say, Microsoft's not for me. Yeah, Microsoft's not for me. Go to another big company. That wasn't fun. End up 
finding a job at a really cool small consulting company. I was like employee number seven, six or seven, where what we offered was ethical hacking and penetration testing services to so pen, large companies. Pen, pen test. Pen testing, yeah. Not testing pens. Yeah. Penetration testing, like trying to break into networks and systems. So these are the companies of good pen. guys yeah. saying, hey, this is what the criminals yeah. may do. The bank saying, hey, guys, try to break in, try to steal money, show us how you do it, tell us how to fix it. How was that? A lot of fun. Just a lot of fun. I mean. So talk about a great prospecting tool. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like me calling up, you know, a billion dollar retirement fund yeah. and being like, hey, these are all your exposures. Yeah. Do you want to hire me now? Or let me take the, the asset over. Yeah. You're hacking their system and then saying, hey, pal, I, this is your vulnerabilities. But under contract. I understand that, yeah. but that's what you were doing. Yeah, but when you start talking about it being a prospecting tool, that's like the sales guys, like, that's what all the sales guys So are you saying you never exposed a vulnerability not under contract? That's not what I'm saying. Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> I'm just asking a question. So this is where, like, the whole ethical hacking. But it what is ethical be- hacking and unethical hacking? It would still be ethical. You have a big company. You could expose a lot of people. I'm worried about those people. Mm -hmm. So not under contract. I'm going to show you your exposure. Yeah. And then you're going to contract us. So that exists today. Companies have what they call bug bounties. Microsoft has one. Google has one. So today, you're just a random guy. You can start going and looking at Google websites and products you can find a vulnerability in there. And then as long as you're doing it inside of their, um, the terms for their bug bounty program, in that you're not doing anything unethical or dangerous to, to them or their users, you can find these vulnerabilities, report them, they'll verify them, and if they're valid, they'll pay you for it. It's a complete like external third party. So exactly what you're saying. Hmm. Just go hack something, find something, and then get paid for it by the company. So that never went on? Back then, I think it went on, but now that's just a kind of a more mature part of the industry where there are companies that specialize in running those programs for other companies. Got it. So how long did this go on with this company? I was there for four years before I started my own company. Now, how old were you? 28. 28. So 28 years old, yeah. you're, you're, you're doing pen testing. Did I get a light there, Ev? Pen testing. What did you discover that said, hey, I want to start my own security company? I think it was going back to customers that we had done pen testing for. We had reported issues, and they bring us back the next year we do another pen test and we report the same issues. Mm. You guys never fixed it. You paid us a bunch of money. We gave you good advice. You didn't fix it. How come? And they weren't exposed yet. Yeah, it was a combination of them maybe not seeing the risk or just not being organized enough internally and having the right leadership mm. internally to actually prioritize and execute. That's like uh, 2008, 9, 10. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. as hot. No. It's so hot now. Yeah. 
I told you, you know, Kelly's uncle is CEO of Binary Defense. Yeah. He was at a Cap Gemini, I think, prior to. Yeah. Like that whole world is just blowing up, blowing up, blowing up. It's just like they're pulling in people. You know, we'll get into your story in a little yeah. bit. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, even even today, like you'll find companies that really give a shit and take it seriously, and then you'll find other companies where they're like, "Hey, we're just trying to keep the lights on." Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, we'll fix that when we get to it. Yeah, we're small enough. Right. We're not worried about the exposure. Yeah. So, you launch Carve Systems. Mm -hmm. What is Carve Systems? Give the people a little bit of a backstory. So, Carve Systems, we were like a small group of hackers. We were a, what we called a boutique information security consulting company. So, make sure when you think you could fuck with Fireside, I got you. Yeah. So, companies would hire us to do pen testing. Like, hey, we built a system, a website, a network. Show us where the holes are, tell us how to fix them, we would do that. But where we pivoted a little bit was... So you ex expose them and fix them? They were already exposed. We would illuminate the exposures for Got them. It. We would show them where were the holes that they had already introduced in their technology, right? Mm -hmm. But then, let's say you're building a new piece of technology and you don't want to introduce any holes. You just want to build it securely. We can help you build it securely. We had a set of methods, um, and guidelines for building secure technology, writing secure code. So a process for the developer yeah, who process has for the, developer. the high level vision, but he's not thinking from a security exactly. perspective. So we enable the engineers to do what they're doing, but do it securely. So yeah, you still have to do a Here's pen test. Here's the backstop. Yeah. Stop here, did you do this, this, and this? Yes. You still have to do a pen test, but hey, when you do that pen test, let's make sure it comes out clean. Like, hey, no, no gaping holes in your technology. What were right? companies paying you for to, to do that? Oh, Back man. Back then, you guys are young young business owners. I remember like our first, uh, our first larger clients, my first larger client when I was a, a one-person shop, one-man shop, charging 150 an hour. And then we raised our rates over time, which was a really important piece. But how, how many hours were with one job? Uh, minimum 40 hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So pen tests were running anywhere from like 9K on up. So per week, that per was person great. per week. We were a consulting company, professional services. So right? when did the other partners yeah. come in? Uh, I remember there was a period of time where I was like, you know what, I can keep doing this on my own. That's kind of hard. I can go get a really cushy job working for a big tech company doing application security. That could be a good, good option for me. Or, you know what, maybe if I get a couple of good partners, we'll give this a, a good run. And so what ended up happening, just colleagues of mine reached out and said, hey, Mike, what are you up to? What are you doing? Told them, that sounds cool. How can I get involved? And yeah, you know, two of the guys that I had worked with for, for many years uh, ended up And what were your partners. two partners' name? Max and Jeremy. Max yeah. and Jeremy. Yeah. And you guys put your brain power together and- Put our brain power together. So Carve Systems went from your first year, how much revs were you doing? I think first year we did 160. And that was at how old? And I ask all these questions yeah. for the people who are out there that are 22, 24 to 30, going, hey, this can, this can accelerate quick. Yeah. Um, 160K my first year 
when it was just me. What'd you do your fifth? Fifth year, I don't know, multiple seven figures. Yeah. And then at what point did you guys get bought out? Uh, multiple, multiple seven figures. Yeah. No, what, what year, like how oh, many years? Year? Yeah. Uh, we ended up selling the company in 2011. So it was a good 10 year run. 10 year yeah. run. And you guys were all living good. All living good, profitable business. Yeah. Great team. Which built a, built a world-class team. Like when you talk about like, what were we proud of? Like the hack, sure, fine, hacking. Like we hacked a lot of stuff that was fun. But building a really awesome culture and a team of like world-class talent. I mean, our team, they could go work anywhere they want. They chose to work with us, why? How many people did you have? Uh, we were 23 when we sold. 23? Yeah. And then a company came in that was looking to add your services to their plethora of services? Yeah, exactly. I mean, important part of our narrative, we, we never had a sales team. Like, at the very end of our decade run, we brought on a sales guy. But we were selling ourselves. We were a bunch of engineers. Well, you were good. Hmm? You guys were good at we're what good. you did. We were engineers, and we learned how to sell to the, to the best of our abilities. And ultimately, what really did it for us was building word of mouth referrals and partnerships. Mm -hmm. And it was a partnership path that led us down the M&A path. Like, how, how can we grow more quickly? Let's become a part of a bigger company that's got a lot of the How'd you make those partnerships out. happen? Networking. Just networking. Through networking. Was a lot of that through the groups that you were a part of? Where did your networking happen? Was it conferences? Because you spoke at some pretty big conferences. Yeah, I spoke at conferences. You know what? Going to the big premier cybersecurity conferences, you know, that was great for credibility uh, and making contacts in the industry. For me, wasn't great directly at business development. It just, it gave us credibility, but what really moved the needle for us was going to other industries, right? Going to the construction industry, going to the finance industry, um, going so to nonprofits. What, what, going what parts of finance did you go into? I'm curious. Um, a lot of financial technology startups, some big banks. So going in and talking to their compliance and... It's a mix of getting engaged by compliance folks or getting engaged by the office of the CISO mm -hmm. or getting engaged directly by engineering and product development. Got it. So inside, you know, a Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 organization, there were multiple buyers for our services, multiple ins, right? And it was always a very complex consultative It wasn't sale. just like procurement department. It no, was no. It wasn't levels. like, oh, you know what? We need 10 more pen tests, go buy 10 more. No. What we did was very consultative and bespoke and tailored. So you guys sell for multiple seven figures. And, and again, because of your NDH, you're not allowed to speak about these things. But I want people to understand, like, I'm not just talking two or four or ten million. So just understand that it's, it's, it's beyond it's, that. Yeah, I mean... Um, at the age of how old were you at the time when you sold? Uh, 41. 41 years old. Yeah. From a kid working in a bike shop to a kid working in a basement putting computers together to a guy who didn't graduate Rutgers, 
to selling a multi, multi, multi seven figure cyber business that didn't know math. Hate math. You could do anything you want to do. That's that's the nugget you need to pull from Mike. Mm -hmm. Mike was interested in all that. His curiosity led you to success. Passion. Well, you were curious though. When you curious? when you saw something new, oh, you were yeah. like, "Hey, I want to pursue that." But curious, and it, and it was always fun. Yeah, it was never like, "Oh, I need to go." I, think I need to go start a profitable fun. business. It was just follow your passion, follow your interest. So I round this down with two questions yeah. usually. If you were a young entrepreneur, guy or girl, nowadays, what's the one thing you would tell them? Follow your passion and network. Yeah. Networking is, is Networking so big. Networking is key. Like, For anybody yeah. who's watching this, you know, a, a shameless plug, the pit. You know, yeah. you know, I watch these guys virtually get online, and I don't have to go to a happy hour. I don't have to drive up to the city. I don't have to drive down to Atlantic City conference or uh, New York City Conference Center and go into this con like it's all online virtually mm -hmm. now for you you're, you're realizing that now right you're in a pit you've gotten to this group yeah just you know when I think about the trajectory of the business once we started it just it's built on relationships everything everything is it's about you know who knows likes and trusts you mm -hmm. that's who's going to buy from you and so I mean, you know, it was the guy in the bike shop. How do you trust hackers, though? It's, uh, very carefully, man. It sucks. It's, <laughs> we're here. You got to deal with us. So got to trust somebody. I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's war. Second question I'd yeah. like to ask. The pit, your universe, cyber, give a shout out to a couple companies. A couple companies. Wow. Put me on the spot. Evan's going to have to do some fancy editing here. Um, so the company that acquired my company that, I, that I'm still a cybersecurity evangelist for, iVision, IT managed service company, just top-notch white glove service and top-notch world-class engineering expertise. That's why we decided to partner with them. Um, because of that and the same approach to customers. Like, we're a bunch of nerds, we're a bunch of engineers, we love the bits and bytes of it, but we also learned that our customers come first. And like, you have to treat your customers like gold and cherish those relationships. And that's what really brought my company, Carve Systems, and iVision together. And that's why we're such a great fit, you know, two years down the road. Um, other companies that I wanna give a shout out to in the pit specifically, I mean, it's not to be the pit. Well, I, I, I love Fireside. I love that you're bringing entrepreneurs together to really just help each other. And uh, another company I'll shout out, avluxury.com. It's my boy, Abiola, doing home automation. Um, great guy. Great guy. But we've been talking about this, just this concept of reciprocal generosity. Like, how do you go from... If you're, if you're just starting out in business, how do you go from like no relationships and no network to network? Join the pit. Join the pit. Uh, who's in the pit? I'm forgetting his name. Uh, now I'm embarrassed. Kindness is free. The wrestling guy. Pete. Pete. Sorry, Pete. Pete Riley. Pete Riley. It's been a long day. Pete Riley, mortgage, Pete Riley, wrestling mortgage, Pete club. Riley. But he says kindness is free. Kindness is free. 100%. 
And so Abiola and I talk about like, well, reciprocal generosity. How do you like put out into the group? Just help people. Be a giver. Be a giver and know that you just, it, it will come it back to you. Back. Like it just does. It's that's weird the whole, how it works, that's it whole concept does. of the pit. Yeah. That's been a hard vision is selling. We are trying to give. We're not trying to have a malicious intent. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been a very hard hurdle for me to get over, under, and around. We've yeah. talked about this. All of us have talked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about giving. And, and there's no shy bone in my fucking body that says, yeah. I want to make money too. But I'm going to give. So it's a win-win situation. Yeah. And everybody's going to give. And that's what allows all boats to rise with the mm-hmm. tide. Mike, this has been awesome. We haven't had any hackers I know. on Fireside. Um, really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. This is really cool. Thanks Absolutely. for doing what you do. You know what I just realized what? throughout this whole entire podcast? We don't have the fucking sign-up. Oh, shit. <laughs> There's no Fireside sign. So we have to do it again. we got to redo this. Thank you. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to learn more about it, check out the links below.